0: This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you from the great folks over at Gamesurplus.com, bringing the world of board games to you. Now, onto the show. Heavy Cardboard Episode Eighty Eight: Forbidden Stars. Coming to you from the Herakon Cluster, a suburb of Denver, Colorado. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, eighteen XX, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. I'm Amanda. And I'm Dan. So for those that... Whoa, who's that? Uh, so Dan has been on a few different live streams with us and obviously did the teaching and kind of ran the game when we live streamed Forbidden Stars. Yeah, that was me. Yep, that was you, in fact. So uh, a little context, because folks haven't heard you on the podcast outside of... I think we were you were a part of one of the roundtables. Um, but other than that... Um, Tell folks a little bit about your gaming background for context. I started playing CCGs probably close to 20 years
1: ago now, and I've just gotten into heavier and heavier games since then. Um, What's CCGs? Mostly Star Wars. I played a lot of Star Wars for many years. Really didn't do a whole lot else for a very long time. Um, and then when I was living in England, I started playing sort of entry-level board games so I played Ticket to Ride and Carcassonne and Kill Mr. Lucky
0: or (laughs) Kill Dr. Lucky
1: and then as soon as we moved back I met up with the Heavy Cardboard crew and have been playing games pretty much exclusively since then.
0: Nice so I remember back when you and Dr. Rachel your fine wonderful wife uh, joined us for a game day, and we introduced her, and you for that matter, to Dominant Species. Heavier than your normal fare at that point, was it not? Absolutely, it
1: was quite a bit heavier. It's still one of the heavier games that I've played, um, and we still came back, even after the hours and hours and hours of Dominant Species. But it was a great time. It was fantastic. I actually really want to play it again.
0: Good, because we are definitely going to be doing that in hopefully live streaming it soon or at least sooner rather than later but I guess the the point of me bringing that up is so folks understand where you're coming from coming from I guess a lighter kind of background uh, gaming wise weight wise I'm saying as far as games
1: yeah I've been playing consistently heavier games for the past couple of years now but it's still not quite to the same level as maybe the average heavy cardboard listener or certainly for you guys
0: well, I, I think that's going to be exciting to be able to give context for tonight's review. That that should be cool. So, glad you decided to join us, man. Super happy to be here.
2: All right, so it's finally cooled off. Thank God.
0: Uh, yeah, it has. Uh, And by cooled off, you mean it's downright cold outside. I mean, it's getting down into the low 40s, which isn't cold, cold. I mean, we're still nowhere near freezing or anything, but I'm having to bundle up whenever I take Asher for a walk.
2: Yeah, it went from like... 80 something and then the next day it was 58 and raining and I was like what wait what happened but thank you
0: yeah fall is definitely here
1: I'm from Minnesota so
0: I'm still wearing shorts and
1: t-shirts right
0: I'm, I'm okay with the short aspect but the t-shirts not for a big dude I mean granted I've lost my you know 50 some odd pounds or whatever but yeah for a big dude I still get cold awfully easy real easy but yeah it's nice that fall is here September, October, best months in Colorado, bar none.
2: Absolutely.
0: So you probably can't hear it, thanks to Better Living Through Pharmaceuticals, but this just in, I'm sick. And I would say again, but it's kind of still sick, I would say. So Amanda listened to our playthrough of The Roar a while back, and she noticed I was coughing, so, and that was just before I left for Gen Con. So we think I already had the infection ahead of Gen Con. Burned my candle at both ends, as you do at a convention. And then couldn't kick it. We thought I'd kicked it last week, but it came back. Not nearly as bad. So on Saturday, with the patron drive kicking off, we live streamed Forbidden Stars. I felt like crap. Amanda's like, all right, Monday, you're going to the VA. So we called the VA, had to answer about 634 questions. But you know what? I was glad to get all that done and out of the way. So I went to the VA on Monday morning, first thing. I spent five hours there. And long story short, x-rays in my chest came back negative. So that is the the most important thing because I was starting to really worry. After seven weeks, I was I was legitimately getting concerned. And so the good news is X-rays came back negative and the doc gave me five different drugs to take to hammer this out. A steroid pack, a Z pack, uh inhaler, uh, cough syrup with codeine. Uh there's one oh and a inhaler, which is basically, I think, another steroid. Yes, it is. So yeah, so uh but the doc said the good news is X-rays came back clean. You should be fine by the weekend. So <sighs>
2: so he's hyper and very tired all at the same time.
0: Yeah, this makes for a really queer feeling. Like I am going through the day, especially at the end of the day. I'm just exhausted. Like right now we're recording. It's what, 830 or so. I spent five hours live streaming throughout the day. I'm just exhausted. But dude, I am wired for sound. I am. wee but I'm exhausted, all because of the drugs that I'm taking. So it's a really just a weird feeling. But you know what? I don't care if I'm healthy by the weekend and, and this is finally gone and out of my chest. That's all I care about. So ultimately, it's a chest infection is is what it is. So thanks to the docs for all the drugs. And like I said, better living through pharmaceuticals.
2: Just glad you finally went. Yeah,
0: me too. You ain't lying.
2: So we leave for Germany in what, three weeks?
0: Uh, what is today? Today is the f- third, third. Yes, it's October 3rd. So we actually leave in 17 days from right now. We will be over the Atlantic, I think, because we leave about 4 p.m. So f- assume four and a half hours. Yeah, we'll be somewhere over the Atlantic seaboard, Atlantic ocean and no stopping until we hit Germany.
2: Until we hit Munich, then we leave Munich, go to Amsterdam, stay there for a few days, a couple of days. And well, then,
0: technically Leiden, not Amsterdam. We fly into Amsterdam, but right. we're staying in Leiden.
2: Leiden. So we're going to be in the Netherlands for three days and then heading back, heading over to Essen for Spiel. And I, this is coming from a girl that's never been out of the States. I've never left. I've never... The highest I've ever been is Portland.
0: <laughs> oh, you mean like most north, yeah. right? Right. Right. So
2: this is... Um, I am very, very excited and very, very nervous all at the same time because it's very much out of my like little box that I like to live
0: in. <laughs> that's what makes it great. Yeah, seriously. It's, living, it's experiences, right? That's what life is all about. And it blows me away that we're going to Amsterdam. Not because we planned on going to Amsterdam the whole way. It's just, wow, that's saving us hundreds of dollars by flying to Amsterdam for a few days. Oh, the crosses we must bear—the
2: agony that we have to go through. Oh, it's
0: a horrible! And no, no, no. I all <laughs> seriousness, this is amazing. I mean, have have you been to Amsterdam before? I've not been to Amsterdam. I have been to Germany, and I absolutely loved it. Amsterdam was on my list uh, for when we lived over in the UK, but we never made it there. So we're super excited about it, obviously. And then on, so we get there on Saturday. On Sunday, we have a game day already set up with the Dutch herd. Our fellow elephants, there. There's going to be at least three or four of them that are going to gather around. There could be as many as like two dozen. Is that a level on the patron drive? The Dutch elephants? No, it's just. Well, the funny thing is, man. Between the Dutch and the Scandarhuvians, there's a whole (laughs) lot of herd members that live in that neck of the woods. Game day, Sunday, excited, playing tourists on Monday. Um, well not really playing. We we really will be tourists. And yeah,
2: not no playing whatsoever. <laughs>
0: uh not sure where we're going to go, what we're going to do. I'm excited to try some Dutch food. And then uh Mira, one of our of the Dutch herd is actually going to uh drive as she says like a turtle with us down to Essen and we're going to check into our condo like we're getting there ahead of the rest of the dutch folk that we're actually um staying in this condo with there's i don't know a dozen 14 of us between two condos in the same building so i have to we have to get the keys and get kind of moved in or however you want to word it whatever and then after that we have to go we'll get lunch or something then we're going to the messa, which is where spiel is located because that's where we're meeting christoph uh, Uli, Clay, and Carmen. All of us are then jumping into Christoph's van, and we're driving to uh, wherever Iseldor is. I- Isildur, the hockey game. All right, so we're we're going to a a, a hockey game. The entire stadium is like forty four hundred people. That's it. That is super tiny, and this is a professional team. So this is going to be. Intimate and rowdy, and again, it's all about those experiences. So I'm super, super stoked about that. And then Mira's gonna uh, stay at our condo with us because she doesn't have a hotel for Tuesday. So I invited her to temporary HCHQ. And then on Wednesday morning, the three of us are gonna go get brekkie, go get breakfast, and then head to the mesa because we all have press passes and gonna go check it out, dude.
2: Does Mira have a press pass? Yes,
0: she does. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a good time, man. I And then, wow, uh, we're being hosted by the ADC Blackfire booth. Uh, we have our banner up. We have uh, a meeting room where we're going to do our interviews. There's not going to be a ton of interviews, but the thing I'm really excited about this is the meeting room, He they offered, do you want a clear wall so folks can watch you do the interviews? I was like, sure, that sounds fun, awesome. So it'll be kind of fishbowl esque, kind of. It might feel a little bit like an interrogation room. It I m- like that. Oh, uh, what I in a perfect world we have that one light bulb hanging right over there that's just, or it's just shining on them, you know, and really bad coffee. Yeah, you know, obviously, without a doubt. So no, um, super excited about this, man. I just, I'm so stoked. I'm. The funny thing is, is yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the games, picking up a ton of games and doing all that. But I can't get over how excited I am. Uh, mainly for two things. One, to meet all of our fans, listeners, viewers, and all the friends that I made when I was at Essen last year. But equally excited, and maybe even more, is even though I've experienced Essen and I'm ready for it and I'm not really an expert, I've been once. I get to kind of relive it for the first time through Amanda's eyes and just watch her. Whoa. I can't wait to see that and just experience that with her for the first time. That's gonna be that's gonna be so cool, dude.
2: I'm just I'm so excited. I just can't wait.
0: Yep, gonna be a good time, for sure.
2: All right, so I figure we
0: we kind of are obligated to give an Patron drive update, I think, right? I mean, we should. Yeah. I mean, not everybody is following social media and and all that stuff. So here we go. So the patron drive began on September 30th, which is Saturday. This is now, well, it's Tuesday for us, but it'll be Thursday for y'all. As of, what is it, 8.35 on Tuesday night, our time, we've had, <laughs> this is staggering to me. We had 370 patrons going into the drive. Add 81 to that number now. That's staggering to me in the best way possible. Yes. I mean, I had no clue what to expect. I didn't know if four people would show up or this. And I got to say, this is with no kind of frame of context. I feel like this is an awfully solid start.
2: This is definitely better than the four you were expecting.
0: Not I I wasn't expecting for, I was fearing for, like for the entire drive and all that. So it's been an amazing first few days and just very humbling to see the outpouring of support within the community itself, as well as people joining the community. And it's just been just wow, man. I mean, that's the best way I know how to put it.
2: Uh, Staggering, I think, is the best way. So
0: thank you to all that have helped get us to this point, whether you're an active patron or whether you're a new patron or whether you're not a patron, but you try and help in other ways. You you talk about the show, you you talk about it, whether it's on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. You tell your local friends, you tell your group, or you know what? You just download and enjoy the show too. That helps. So thank you to all of y'all. It's been amazing so far. And we're three four days into it that's crazy does drinking coffee out of the heavy
1: con mug count as as supporting the show
0: Uh, yes perfect we're good all right good what was it you were telling me about the heavy con mug Uh, at your house by the way
1: there's a race every morning to get to that mug because it is by far the coolest one we have so whoever gets up first gets coffee out of the heavy con mug that that
0: made my day when you told us that on Saturday. That's so that's so goofy and so awesome at the same time, dude. Our dog also enjoys drinking coffee out of that mug. We have discovered. <laughs> well, Asher, apparently, I wonder if this is a greyhound thing or a dog thing in general because Asher likes likes drinking. He
2: likes my dregs. Yeah, I was on the couch and I didn't have my cup like right in front of me. I just kind of had it dangling, you know, not really dangling, but just kind of like loose or limp or whatever. Next thing I know, I hear, and he's like, just drinking the rest of my coffee. I was like, okay, well, thanks. I'll go get more. <laughs> he,
0: he just felt you needed to freshen up the cup. <laughs> he's yeah. very helpful. Yeah, He's a team player. That's all it is, right? So, yeah. Uh, so, we have just under a month to go. It ends November 4th, and... Uh, The last thing I wanted to bring up about it is remember that all patrons at the $5 and up level are automatically entered to win a tricked out Duchess board game table from BoardGameTables.com at the end of the drive. I guess it's not really all patrons, so I apologize. It's all $5 and up patrons in the US, Canada, and the EU, which covers most of them, but sorry for the others. Thank you for the support though. So seriously, thanks a lot for everybody and check it out, pledgehc.com. So the last thing is we've had some fun live streams both going off this week. Last week was the Forbidden Stars, obviously. We, I did the HCHQ library tour today, which went way longer than I expected.
2: Which is adorable that you didn't think it was going to take that long.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. When when I started the video, I was like, yeah, this will probably be an hour, maybe two.
2: And I chortled at my desk at work.
0: And it ended up being almost 3 hours. I don't read as fast as Amanda, and so the, the and I tend to be a little bit more verbose.
2: Sure. Mr. Linguist, is there a better word?
0: I think verbose is perfect. Okay, and so I, I I ramble, especially on the drugs that I'm on. I tend to be a little bit more scattery. Always blame it on the drugs. Oh, always, it's a valid excuse. But it seemed folks were enjoying it, and we took our time leisurely stroll through the library. Had a lot of fun with that. But uh, other stuff that we have coming up. So with this releasing Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Thursday morning. The ones that you guys still have to look forward to is Tulip Bubble. You have uh, St. Petersburg. And then in the next two weeks, there's going to be a whole host of big-time streams. We have Arkwright, Container. We have two sponsored ones, the the Tulip or three sponsored ones, sorry. Tulip Bubble, Wildcatters, and Feudum as well to go all before Essen. So... Yeah, and not to mention a ton of others. So this is going to be a a crazy, awesome 16 and a half days. Got
2: a lot of live streaming ahead.
0: Uh, Yeah, so drugs, do your work. (music) Big thank you to our sponsor, BoardGameTables.com. If you're in the market for a customized, one-of-a-kind board game table, go check them out, BoardGameTables.com.
2: All right, so Heavy Cardboard reviews its first fantasy flight game.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I'm looking forward to our first experience on the show, at least, with a fantasy flight game. So let's get into it. So, Forbidden Stars, published in 2015, designed by Corey Kanitska, Samuel Bailey, and James Niffin. So, interesting thing here. Normally, I would talk about the artist, but it's not attributed. At least not on BGG. I know, obviously, there were artists that worked on this, so I apologize for not finding them in the rulebook ahead of time. Odd that they're not attributed, though, on BGG. Published by the aforementioned Fantasy Flight Games, the game plays two to four players, and the published playtime is two to four hours, which we'll talk about throughout the review on this. Availability and cost. Back to our age-old roots. Good news, everybody. It's out of print. Or not good news, depending on your point of view. And it's never going to be reprinted. Why, you might ask? Games Workshop and Fantasy Flight. The license on this was split, so Games Workshop, I guess, has it now. So, will never be reprinted. Positive news. It's currently available at Game Surplus for $79.99. So, I don't know how many copies they have, but if this sounds good... I wouldn't dawdle. As far as plays and player counts that we've experienced, I have five plays with it uh, across the entire thing, two, three, and four players.
2: I have four, the same.
0: I have six
1: plays now with three and four, mostly with three.
0: Okay. All right. Cool. So, Dan, since you taught the game, you want to talk about Forbidden Stars
1: and how it works. So two to four players take on the roles of different factions in the Warhammer 40k universe and strive to capture relics and important sites from the Harakon cluster, which, as we know, is a suburb of Denver. Obviously, everyone knows that. So you'll be collecting resources and building units and improving your technologies in an effort to fly around the galaxy and get stuff
0: pretty much in a nutshell. That's about it. So let's talk about the five factors that we say we think contribute to a game's weight, so starting off with complexity.
2: So about the rules complexity, I mean there's quite a bit of rules here but there's nothing earth-shattering or mind-blowing about the rules.
0: Yes and no. I would I I would say on that there's like you said it's a fair bit of rules, there's nothing exceptionally it's not an exceptionally long rule book or anything there. However, There's definitely plenty of gotchas, and plenty, uh, especially regarding retreating and other stuff. That's where I actually really like Fantasy
1: Flight's habit of doing the learn-to-play book and the rules reference book, is that you can get used to a long set of rules by doing a sort of introductory set, and then if you run into a problem, you can look up whatever you need in the rules reference.
0: Right. So there's that, at least. Plus, Dan did a really good teaching of it uh, in the playthrough video, but... As far as rules overhead, it didn't seem excessively hard. Um, Again, coming into this, we've played some Fantasy Flight games. We've played uh, Sid Meier's Civ is the first one that jumps into my mind. And there are others that I can't think of. But I just, I didn't feel like the rule set was exceptionally hard. But the exceptions were many, though. And, you know, like what I call the gotcha rules. There are a lot of rules that didn't seem intuitive to me. Like they're
1: not all that difficult and they're, I mean, it's like you said, it's not a super long rule book, but there were some things that just didn't make sense to me the first few times I played.
0: Right. And it, and that's where, because exactly what you said, it's the first few times that you play it and when we get into the getting it, that makes that longer, I feel like.
2: Okay, that, that's fair. Um, But now... So, you have two of each type of order that you can make, but the way that the orders are executed is extremely interesting to me. We'll get into that more during planning, but if you don't remember that little rule about how they're executed, that can be disastrous.
0: So, yeah, let's go into the planning and reverse order of activating your orders from the order in which you place them. So, whatever you want to activate last, you place first. Cannot... Make that stick in my head. I feel like the bi- world's biggest idiot because repeatedly I will tell myself, "No, no, no, uh, nope." Pull that back. That you need to happen before the other thing. So place the other thing first. Maddening, and not not in a bad way. It's just you have to think about it backwards.
2: I mean, I picked up on that quickly, but unfortunately. You didn't, and that you know, it's not always the case that things are going to be picked up on quickly, but and it can get confusing, you know, removing remembering where everything is, remembering what you placed just to make sure that oh crap, did I already do this?
0: But it's not a memory game in that you just play, you're placing four actions. Four things, four little discs, or they're actual, they're they're cardboard tiles, but we have them in 32-millimeter little coin cases, so that's why I'm calling them discs. Four. You have eight available, you choose four of them, and you place one in turn order. It's not hard to remember four things that you're trying to do in a turn, but oh my god, in the moment, the hell am I trying to, what did I, no, wait, did I? I did it backwards again, didn't I? Four
1: seems like a really reasonable number of things to remember, but you will forget the order token that you put down within seconds after putting it down. It In- will just be gone.
0: Inevitably. And so this is where the, the, I mean, and we're we're kind of making light of the planning aspect here. But that happened to all of us, it, whether it's us, uh, the present company, whether it was Matt, didn't matter. We all, wait. Nope, nope, and then there's me. Nope, I did that in the wrong order again. Yep, yep, yep.
1: And even if you do remember the correct order to play your order tokens, someone will always stack one of their orders on the one that you need to happen at a certain time, and you will just
0: get totally thrown off. Because the order in which these activate, whatever, if you have multiple actions available, meaning the top ones, you choose one of them. And if I choose one that doesn't have anyone else's below it, that means I'm probably stacked on top of somebody, other, somebody else's actions to where they can't take those actions until I reveal that one. And so that can completely thwart somebody's plans or your own, but it's all player-driven. I'm curious how much planning you put into future
1: rounds. I noticed that I could really only plan to the end of a single round when we were playing. I couldn't give too much thought to my sort of overarching strategy
2: i would agree with that i i never plan outside of the round that i'm in i think it's mainly because we'll get into warp storms later but those you can those can be thrown in like a monkey wrench and you can have all this great grandiose things planned but there's a warp storm in the way
0: and that's fair and that's true, but I found I found myself trying to plan, I, I'll be honest, I was able to plan one turn in advance, so okay, here's these four actions that I'm taking for this turn. Next turn, or it's the type of thing that, okay, I know I'm not going to be able to go attack you way over there, but I'm going to prepare for that now, and I was actually able to do that in our live stream game, obviously that didn't work out really well. But I actually executed my plan exactly how I wanted to. The problem is, Amanda was a turn ahead of both Dan and I when we did it. But I was able to plan one round in advance. So the game can go up to eight rounds. So I don't know if that's still fairly tactical. It's not round to round. I was able to go one more, but I couldn't, like, I'm not thinking... Three and four rounds ahead, no chance. So, definitely emphasis on the tactical planning more so than the overall strategic planning, at least, well, present company it seems, right? All three of us. Yeah. However, there is planning for what your opponents are doing and that matters in a big way, especially when it comes to that stacking order that you were talking about, Dan. Um, But on top of that, You also have to kind of plan for what your opponent's special abilities are. And this is something that Dan and I completely failed to do in the live stream. Excuse me. Oh. Because if we were able, because if we were able to plan based off of and and take into consideration what Amanda's special ability was, it may have also altered what Dan's and my plans were leading up through that round in the actual planning out that phase or planning out that round. I mean, I had enough to
1: think about with my own special action and all the things I was trying to do. I didn't even consider what Amanda was doing at that point.
0: And that's really interesting because It's there in front of you. You could have, but I think that's really an important thing to point out. The fact that six games in and I'm five games in, or actually at that point I was four and I was just so tunnel visioned that I was so focused on what I was doing. It's great to sit here and talk about, oh yeah, planning for what? In theory, you want to be able to do that, but there's a lot to manage in and of your own plans to try and bring on somebody else's and try and play somebody else's game.
1: Especially when your plans get disrupted in the middle of the planning phase and you have to come up with something completely new. I mean, halfway or three quarters of the way through that phase, then everything else just goes out the window.
0: And then you start planning for things that you already aborted because you had to implement plan B, and then you're trying to implement plan A stuff, and you're like, wait, no, Uh uh-uh, Amanda wrecked that. Okay, so I have to adjust for that, that type thing.
1: I have no idea what you just said, and I think that perfectly captures how I play this game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so while it's, it, it's definitely not mandatory, it, obviously, I mean, we were aware of what Amanda's special ability is, and it helps to know, but it's not. Ultimately, it can and probably should impact the plans you're making but you have so much on your plate already that it makes it really hard. So I would say that there is a plethora Hefe. of planning in this game.
2: I would agree with that. I mean, not only do you have to plan the orders that you're going to do, but you also have to plan your placement of units, especially when it comes to material acquisition, because material is what is used to purchase units, upgrades, buildings, etc. So if you're not on the right planets and the right systems, it can be quite the issue.
0: Yeah. How many times were you and I caught? with our proverbial pants down Dan wait I only get three material this round three what am I supposed to do with three three isn't going to help most of the game we were in that situation I think one of the reasons
1: that I keep finding myself in that situation is because I don't think about it when we're setting up the board that's something we haven't talked about yet but that's really important consideration when you're getting started To set up the board, each player receives, well, in a three-player game, each player receives three tiles, and you place one tile at a time, and then add units, structures, and your opponent's objective tokens, and then that creates the starting state of the game.
0: Right, and everybody has their own asymmetric units that are start, that is like the, okay, here's your pool of starting stuff. You distribute it however you want, but you're going to have to place it all out between these three tiles. And when you're placing these tiles, it's almost like a draft to where whoever's the first player, they place a tile and then they place one of each of their opponent's objectives on there. And then they have all this handful of stuff. Well, I I make it sound like it's a ton of stuff. It's like seven things. But that has to go between the three tiles that you lay. So do you load up on that first one and then you watch everyone else, the next player, they must... Uh, it must be orthogonally adjacent and so they might not place the way you think they were going to and now you got this huge buildup of stuff or maybe you didn't put any or much out there on that tile because once you've placed that tile and you place all your stuff out there on the actual tile and you say okay i'm done next player goes that's it you can never again during setup Go back and remove anything that you place on that tile, nor can you add to that tile. So the level of planning that comes into play even before the game starts is shocking. I I was not at all prepared for that. And I mean that in a good way. Like I just never thought that that level of, of planning would come into play before the game started in a game like this boo on me for
2: that. Uh also cities built comes into play as well with upgrading your cards and units. The uh the number of cities you have dictates the level of unit or card you can upgrade to and the more cities the better the units and upgrades.
0: And so again, how much material do you get because the cities are going to cost material. I mean they cost 3 material. And so uh, do you spend that on units? Do you spend that on Building the cities so that the next time you build units, they're stronger. Or do you just ignore building your own cities and try to go capture everyone else's? Which is also a strategy. But here is what we're getting at in all of this. In no review in the history of this show have we spent this long discussing the amount of planning that goes into a game. That bodes well, I would say, for the rest of the review.
2: I would agree with that, sir.
0: Alright, so let's roll into Luck and Random Factor. So, this is a a Fantasy Flight game. So, Ameritrash meets Euro, I think, is a a fair uh, description of what this is. And it does have a fair share of randomness in this game. So, there's dice rolling at the beginning of combat. And if you gain more dice during combat, you draw five of your ten combat deck cards every fight, every battle. So you're only getting half your deck. So there's the randomness of what you draw. But again, it's 50% of your deck. There's the random draw of the tactics slash scheme cards for events. And then the randomness of the warp storms and the way those can possibly move. And the way your opponents choose to move them. So here's my question though for y'all. How much randomness do you feel impact or how much of this randomness do you feel impacted the actual game and the gameplay and the ultimate end of the game I think most
1: of where you experience the randomness is in the battle dice but I don't feel like that has that big of an impact because with the cards that you draw from your deck you're able to add you know attack and defense and morale icons and you can also use them to sort of tweak your previous roles and so it doesn't feel to me like a single bad role can really derail your battle.
2: Yeah I would agree with that but yeah and I also agree that the dice is where the the randomness is because there's so few cards and you and the randomness is mitigated by the fact that you get to choose 3 out of the 5 that you are dealt to fight with that like I said that mitigates some of that randomness but the battle dice is definitely where that comes in
0: but at the same time the dice are not equally distributed as far as the faces they're custom they're custom dice so you have three sides that are offensive two that are defensive and one that's morale and so this game rewards you being uh, aggressive and being offensive in that regard but kind of like what dan just said a minute ago that the fact that the cards between the three rounds of a battle that it can go on They mitigate, now, if you get just a really, really, you know, you're trying to kill something and be offensive and you roll nothing but defensive dice, okay, you may not be able to mitigate that a whole lot. Honestly, for me, over the course of a game, somehow, I never felt that a battle, a single battle, or that the eventuality of the outcome of the game, ever once was dictated by the randomness in this game. So I wonder, yeah, there's a fair bit of it, but does it really impact the weight in a negative way? Or is it, it's, I feel like the decisions that you make far overshadow the impact of the randomness in this game.
2: I can see your point, but I do disagree with it a little bit because I know that in our two-player game, There were quite a few times when we had battles and I literally could not roll anything but defense and morale. I could not roll anything that would attack you. And the cards that I drew, they were just defense or they were just morale. So I feel like that does impact it a little bit. But I also do agree that overall, the randomness does not impact The amount of decision making and the weight of those decisions.
1: I think it's important to note that it depends a lot on the faction you're playing. So you might be playing a faction that does best when they roll defense and morale and another faction might want to roll more attack or just defense and doesn't care about morale. And so that I'm not quite sure how that impacts the randomness or how much that
0: affects the game, but that's something to keep in mind. Fair point. But well, how big of an impact do you think the, the randomness in this game had over the course of a given game? I'd say it's minor.
2: I would agree. It just yeah. can be frustrating.
0: Yeah, it, it, it can be on an individual, you know, moment here or there. But overall, I, I really feel like it's, it's fairly minimized, which really surprised me. So rolling into, ha, see what I did there? Rolling into the game length. So I'm going to talk more about this when we talk about scalability much later in the review, but with the two and three player games, the game length was a breeze really and it felt just right for the game. Four player? No. I feel like four player dragged uh, far more than it it should have and it, it made the game too long for what it is.
2: Yes, I would agree with that. the my first game of this drug on and on and on and on. And it was four players and it really kind of soured me on it.
0: Well, it was also to, to not to give a defense to the game, but it was three new players. Yeah. But I don't know that that made a huge impact to the game dragging.
2: I I don't feel like it did. Um, but two and three player it's lightning fast. Two player especially is lightning fast. Like I feel like on just a normal gaming evening, we could sit down and do best two out of three, two player of this game.
0: Very well, potentially. I, I agree with that. So game length, depending on, on on player count, could or could not impact the weight of the game in, that res- in, in, in respect to the actual weight. So two and three player, I don't feel like really impacts the weight here as far as length. Four player. It impacts it as far as weight, but not necessarily in a good way.
1: I noticed that as we played more games and we got more used to our specific factions, the battles got a lot faster. I know that's a criticism that some people level at this game is that the the battles can take a long time and feel very stretched out. But as we got used to it, it became really quick, in fact.
0: Yeah, as you get more familiar with your own faction and you know, okay, I'm going to upgrade to these cards et etc cetera, et cetera. and it 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 definitely okay I know how this these cards synergize with these cards and so it does definitely speed up play that is true but that's to be expected with you know as you get experience with games right so now the getting it factor
2: for me it took one full game and then about a quarter of the second one the the rule of that the orders are executed backwards from how you place them—that has to be crystal clear. And once that rule is down and understood, you should be pretty good from there. But it does—it can take a while to get there.
1: I think it—it it took me a full two games, maybe even part of a third, to really feel like I understood um, that I could see the board and see what was happening in the in the game at any given time.
0: Yeah, for me, it's—it's it's, it took me a couple plays and. At that, in short succession, so that things were fresh in my head and it just kind of re-emphasized the things that I had in my first game, uh, just due to keeping all the rules straight as well as learning what the other factions can do and, and starting to see how the game works. And not just worried about the rules, but actually starting to actually form a tactical strategy for the game. I think that actually affects the game length as well because I noticed
1: after a couple games, we didn't have to look up as many of the rules exceptions because you can get a lot in a few turns. And if you have to look each one up every time, it can add a lot of time.
0: Yeah. And it bogs things down. So ultimately the game falls where on the white scale? So start with guest Dan.
1: I would call it medium heavy. Um, I probably would have called it very heavy not all that long ago, but after playing Lisboa recently, I
0: don't feel like anything else can really be called heavy. <laughs>
2: it's medium to me.
0: So, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, I, I'm in Dan's camp on this. I think medium heavy because this is this is what I use as my, my gauge, kind of. I think Rococo is a mid-weight game, is a medium weight, and this is definitely a step up from Rococo, as far as weight. So, medium? Really?
2: I felt like it was, yeah. Okay,
0: then that's what you feel. That's fine. Just, that surprises me.
2: Alright. Alright, so let's talk about the cardboard. Let's start with the components. They're wonderful quality. I mean, this is what you would expect from a Fantasy Flight game. From the cards, to the boards, to the ships. I mean, even the dice. And the the miniatures. All, it's all very well done.
1: Yeah, I've played quite a few Fantasy Flight games over the years, and it's It's right on par with their typical great production quality.
0: Yeah, I'm really pleasantly impressed or pleased or fill in the right word. It's everything about it is top notch. Hmm, I say everything. Okay, I'll nitpick one thing. The player boards are a thin cardstock that are easy to get the corners dinged. Like I wouldn't be upset at the prospect of laminating the the player boards. But those just lay flat on the table. Like they're not used for anything other than basically a reference sheet. So other than that, there is literally nothing that I can think of that I was like, eh. The one nice thing, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, was the action tokens or the action selection tokens. Those get used a ton. And the coin cases that you can buy on Amazon or eBay or whatever, the 32 millimeter ones, those little action tokens fit really well in those. And it keeps them more durable than they might otherwise. That would be my one concern about component quality, really. But I'm really, I'm picking nits here, I feel like. On a related note, it's also probably a good idea to sleeve these cards as you do a lot of shuffling. That is a fair point. Um, and the nice thing about Fantasy Flight is they give what size sleeves they are on the back of the box. So you can always take a look at that. So yeah, um, high, high marks across the board then I would say is a group for component quality. So the box size is a really thick square. It's just over eleven and a half inches by eleven and a half inches by five and a third inches, or basically thirty by thirty by thirteen and a half centimeters for those metric folk. Graphic design, not artwork, but graphic design.
2: It's clear and consistent throughout the game. Material is the same everywhere. The you know, morale is the same everywhere all the icons are the same in every piece the hammers are the same in the little chits as well as on the board and on the on the world on ev- the player board right wor- yeah, yeah yeah right everything there's there, everything is consistent there's no wait what what is that thing it does i don't recognize that it doesn't look like anything else in the game there's nothing like that there
1: it's all it's all fairly intuitive as well i mean a gun helps your attack and a shield helps your defense and that's most of what you need to know at least
0: for the battling portion right and the material like amanda said is consistent on the cards and on the worlds and everything else the only two kind of humorous i think aspects graphic design for me this was strictly for me was the zeros on the helmets for the the level of things that you can build for me I kept seeing the center part of the zero as a one. And I was like, what do you mean it's free? No, it says one. I'm an idiot. Never mind. So it's a totally me thing. A hundred percent. I just found it humorous. I thought I would share. The other thing that this is universal with our entire group now. They're not guns. The attack dice, they're battle cats. And once you see it and you see there's a cat. In the shape of a gun, it looks like they're Battlecats for now on. Battlecat, attack!
2: Battlecats for life!
0: Alright, so I know you two are both clamoring to talk about the artwork, so talk about the artwork. Or, or, wait, is it really talk or is it more gush?
2: I think it's gush. I mean, it's spacey, steampunky goodness.
0: Okay, yeah, which is yay in all the checks a lot of boxes for, for you. For
2: Amanda, it checks all of all of the boxes. I mean, I'm happy as a clam. It's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's disgusting. Some of the planets are gross looking. It's just, I love, I love, 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 love this type of art.
1: I really appreciate that the artwork isn't similar to a lot of the other heavier games that I've played. I mean, I can only handle so many sort of medieval games where there are farmers and <laughs> lieges and things like that. I just get tired of all that. So seeing machine worlds and craft worlds and you know various types of destructive machinery is really refreshing.
0: Dude, stalking scorpions. Dude's got a, a serrated sword. And then another one of my faction, Elder for Life, by the way, Fire Dragon's Vengeance. This has got a terrifyingly blood-covered dude with a some sort of space laser monster huge gun. Just the artwork is really
2: impressive. There's one in the Chaos Marine deck that is... She looks like a succubus with... um. Teeth on her tongue, and she's licking a guy. It's just—it looks really horrible, but it's just—it it fits
0: with the rest of the game. It really does. Now, I should preface, and Amanda and I both, and Dan, you tell me. For you, this is my first ever experience with a Warhammer 40k universe. I've never played, you know, the Warhammer 40k. I've never played. We have Horus Heresy downstairs, and we have some other. Uh, games that are in this universe but this is the first one we've played of it so we're coming into this completely blind from anything else and I'll kind of echo what, what the other two have said the artwork on the cards is nice, whatever the minis, I mean they're, they're nice sculpts but for me I really like the artwork of the planets, there's one that's like this red paisley world that it's just it's attractive artwork. It's really well done. And it's not garish to the point to where it negatively impacts the ability, the, the playability of the game in any form or fashion. Most of the artwork is pretty
1: toned down. There's not a whole lot of bright colors, except for the Eldar cards and various things which are bright yellow. But it, it makes it easy to see anything that you put on the board, and that helps a lot.
0: Right. And now the the minis in this game, they are they all come on stands, or they're you know they're they're chunky enough. Whatever. Some of the areas can get a little cluttered, I will say, uh, when there's a lot of units on them, but. I never had a problem being able to make out anything on the board. So I would say high marks component wise, graphic design and artwork. That's a win in my book. So rule book clarity and quality.
1: So I mentioned before that this has the typical fantasy flight learn to play book and rules reference book. And I, I think that's a really good idea for a game of this weight. Um, in the learn to play book, everything is set forward pretty well I mean it's not it's not difficult to read it's not difficult to follow all the examples make sense Um, it's just a matter of getting used
0: to rules that you probably haven't played with before in other games there are a number of errata and there's a number of faq um, just clarifications that are out there and on top of that there is a player aid that we used that was really invaluable from a standpoint of going through a game round and laying out exactly what happens in what phase. Just as a refresher, it's there as a reference that really well done. Um, the rule book, for me, it took a number of reading and then rereading for some stuff to really stick. And then sometimes I would read it and I'd be like, okay, I don't get that, and then have to go and try and actually do it on the board to kind of, you know, do as you read type thing. And so I struggled in some respects, but I will say it was real. I, I have said this in the past. I know some people feel like there should be one rule book and that's it, and that's it. I prefer a use this book to learn the game, and then use this book to reference the game. So if you have questions, everything, there's a uh, an index in the back of the rules reference to where whatever you want to look up, it's right there. Okay, it's alphabetical throughout the rules reference. That's well done. But there are a number of gotchas, and there are some things that were definitely hard to grok for me and wrap my head around, especially retreating, um, because it's different whether you if you were the attacker or the defender and stuff like that
1: it goes back to what we were saying before that it's not that complex but it still takes a while to learn it takes some effort to get through the rules and to start learning how the game
0: works so the rule book i wouldn't say is poor i think it's a solid rule book but it requires effort to get through it i think and to actually understand what it is that you're reading Yeah, which is one of the reasons why it's really helpful
1: to learn from someone who has played. Someone who had played quite a few times taught me and that
0: made a huge difference. And it makes it easier to go through the rule book on your own because, oh, okay, this is what he meant. I I remember when he talked about that or whatever. And I know folks don't like us referencing the playthrough videos like this should be a standalone video or a standalone review, but it's there as a resource if you want to use it when Dan taught it in our playthrough. So there's that, at least. So now, setup, tear down, teaching and learning. There's a lot of baggies. Um, you know, every faction go into a bag, and then you have essentially what is four decks of cards per player, or at least small decks. they are eight to ten cards, or some are only five cards. But you have to separate all those out, and then you have to kind of organize your faction units and get those organized and then pull aside what it is that you're going to actually is your starting faction and then after that then you got to make sure you you know you you have the boards for every player to be able to kind of draft or or place or whatever so setup is it's not the most involved i have i've seen but it's not a oh yeah 10 minutes boom done
1: it helps a lot if you have more than one person who knows what they're doing when it comes to setup. I mean, even if you just have two, it cuts the time way down.
0: True. And as far as uh, Tear Down, it's basically just back into baggies the order it came out of. I, I think that's, that's pretty much it. As far as teaching goes, a systematic way to go about teaching it?
1: It's... Pretty much just walking through the rule book. I mean, the learn to play book has it set out um, in the order of each phase that you need to know. And then it walks through each order token and what you do for those. And that's pretty much what I did when I taught in the video was made some notes and just walked through the phases in the rule book.
0: And then as you encounter things like certain retreats, yes, it's possible to get stranded and now you lose the units because you didn't know this retreating rule or whatever. But outside of that... It's fairly procedural and straightforward the order in which things go. So you can kind of follow along and it's it makes learning it easier. I, I For me, procedural games are considerably easier for me to learn than sandboxy ones.
1: The difficulty comes in remembering the steps of those procedures because it, it always goes in the same order. But I think we figure that there are... Ten or eleven steps in every battle, and that three or four of them are repeated three times. And so it's it looks straightforward on paper, but trying to remember it all gets to be a challenge.
0: Yeah. So once you get over that hump, though, um, and just there, there's no shame in after you've taught the game, playing around. Okay, everybody got it. Let's reset and then start back over. That's probably a good way to go about doing that. All right. And now we've come to the actual meat of the review, which is pretty crazy considering how long we've been talking about this game. So, what do you like? If you like, what do you like about the game, y'all?
2: Each of the factions have different little quirks, but the basic things are the same. So, you know, like each of the units cost the same, have everything same except the name things like that, and it makes the game quite replayable because you have a great jumping-off point for each faction once you play played the game a couple of times.
0: Yet, they feel asymmetric because of the fact that, like, maybe your smallest unit has a two attack and one defense, whereas mine might be a two attack and one defense. You know, just flip-flopped, or the other way around. I know what I meant. You know what I meant. And with them being symmetric but asymmetric, the way you add to your combat deck is one of my absolute favorite things about this game because everybody has their own starting deck of 10 cards. But when you take the strategize action, it allows you to customize your deck, sort of. You have a small separate deck of combat upgrades in which you can then purchase those using that limited materiel to then upgrade your deck. So you have this basic starting deck that everybody's starting deck, they all have their own different flavors. Different feels, but similar in level of ability. And then you get to customize your deck to how you want to play it. Do you want to go more defensive? Do you want to go more offensive? Do you want to go to where you're able to respawn or or rally uh, routed units to where you're kind of, you're, you're like luggage, you just never go away. And I love that it gives you that flexibility to semi-customize your deck because it's always going to be 10 cards no matter what. So if you purchase this set of cards or you purchase this card, you're purchasing two cards and those go into your deck. But to be able to do that, you must remove another pair of cards, matching cards, to where your deck is always 10 cards. So when you draw, it's always half the deck.
1: As you build up your deck, that's when the factions start to become more different too, and I really like that. So the Chaos Space Marines that Amanda was playing, her higher level cards just pop up cultists everywhere. We were saying it's like playing Whack-A-Mole with her ground units. And with the the ultramarines that I was playing as I got higher level cards, I got to fly in troops from elsewhere in the middle of a battle. And so you get these
0: sort of signature abilities for each faction. Yep. And my Eldar have really strong level one ships and I had more of them than you guys have, but I have less land units. And so I was able to take advantage of that in space and just kind of dominate the voids, which are the space spaces on the board. And it gave me a lot more flexibility in that regard. So all of them, I don't want to say feel overpowered, but they're all balanced in that everything is has its own cool, special, like, wow, how can you do that? You know, and then you do something and be like, oh, how can you do that? You know, and that type thing. So, yeah, I love that aspect of this game.
1: If I remember correctly, someone mentioned that there are a lot of print and play Factions on BGG, and I'm really looking forward to trying some of those out.
0: Same, because let's face it, because this is out of print and the license is gone, there will not be any more. There will not be any expansions. So this is what you get. You get the four factions that come in the box, but the print and plays. Obviously, you're gonna have to use other other factions units. You know, when you're playing with them, because you're not print and playing your own 3D minis, or maybe you are. OK, we're not, but at least it gives that flexibility. So it's even more to be able to, you know, master and learn and enjoy the interactions of those factions with the other factions.
2: It is fun to play the same pet faction multiple times, though, because each play will open up something new that you didn't know before, like you're finally able to build that third city and get a huge upgrade to a card or a cool new unit you've never had before.
0: Yep. Uh, I'll be honest. I played the Eldar every single game. So five games. Five games of Eldar. One, they're yellow. Hmm. But also, I wanted to explore it more because there were only two games of my five that I even got my biggest ships out on the board. And that's partially, you know, me learning the game as we went along and everything. But I didn't get tired of even my faction after five games. That is exciting to me. It helps that it's not always clear right away
1: what your faction's specialty is. Like, you can try different things to see if they work really well, and sometimes they'll fall flat, and sometimes they'll really help you, you know, progress in the game. But it's not always clear what that is, and so it takes a few plays to,
0: to really start appreciating each faction. Which gives it a ton of replayability as well, even without those, any other factions, right?
2: The aspect of placing order tokens and blocking other players' actions by doing so, I enjoy that a lot. You may, you know, you may place out your order tokens in the manner you want them executed, but they most likely will not execute in the order that you wanted them to.
0: Yep. Taking turns, placing orders in the order in which they resolve kicked my butt every single round of every single game. And I loved it because it was a puzzle that I had to figure out. And on top of that, I had to puzzle what you guys were doing like, OK, if I place this down here first and that's my attack or, or my dominate. So if I place this down, this token down here first, my advanced token to go and attack, it's possible that might be buried under two or three or four other tokens. So it might be a long time. till I'm actually able to do that. So maybe I don't place it over there. Maybe I place something else here and kind of stall a little bit. And that's where player order comes into play. It's a big advantage to go first in a lot of aspects. But having the hammer to be able to dictate and to react to what your your opponents are doing in the, the placing of those order tokens going last also has its advantages. So, man, I... That is one of the cooler mechanisms that I've seen in games and that just kicks my butt that I can't get enough of is just the way the reverse order in which these play out with these order action mechanism. The first in, last out planning is definitely
1: the core of this game. Uh, You might think because it's Fantasy Flight or because it's Warhammer that it's all about battling, but I feel like that's really secondary to the planning. I mean, we talked about planning for... I don't know how long, just a few minutes ago. And that's really what this game is
0: about. A hundred percent agree. Now, the battles, not to downplay them, are my second favorite aspect of this game. But yeah, the action planning and it's just it's such a simple concept. You have four choices twice, right? So you have eight tokens. Where do you place them and when and doing it one at a time? And that right there is the crux having to do it one at a time, go around the table, then place another, go around the table, then place another, what your opponents do really forces your hand and really can cause you to either react or you instigate their reaction and draw them into reacting to what you do so you dictate. So I would say that is kind of the epitome of interactive gameplay.
2: Well, that and also there were multiple times where After, whenever it came around to my turn, there were things that I knew that one of the other players was most likely going to be doing there. So I made sure to cover that up so that it could be delayed and I could do something else and delay that player from being able to do their action when they wanted to. Right.
0: So take a different action than the one you were planning on doing. But you know what? I can get away with doing this one first. And now... I'm forcing you to not be able to do what it is you want to do. So maybe you now have to do things out of order and now your plans are foiled. But again, that's all player driven.
1: What you mentioned about playing orders that aren't exactly what you wanted, but that you would probably have done them sometime gets to one of the other things I find really interesting about this game is that it's sort of Euro-y in the fact that you want to do everything, or maybe you even need to do everything to win, but you just can't. So, I mean, do you save up resources and upgrade all your stuff and then go for an attack later, or do you just go balls to the wall from the beginning and attack everything? I mean, you can try any different way, and it will always be less efficient than you want it to be.
0: Always. And the other thing that kicked my butt numerous times, again... Uh, with your limited resources, and the action tiles themselves are limited resources. And by that I mean you only have two of each type. So there might be a round where because you have saved up all your stuff and now you've built everything on a previous turn, you're ready to just rock and roll and just wreak havoc. But you only have two advance orders. But this turn... I could really use a third. I, I really want to go fight this third time. But you can't. You can only do two of each action. And of that, you can only do four actions total. So, yeah. Having to prioritize and really struggle with that prioritization. As well as just being forced to be limited. And as a Marine, I appreciate doing the most with the least. I mean, that's kind of the Marine motto they, they, we pride ourselves on that. That kind of feeds into that.
2: You have to be able to think on your feet to make lemonade out of lemons and try different ways to get what you wanted to do done if you need, you know, if you absolutely have to
0: because of the fact that players might thwart your original plan. So you might have to go to plan B, C or D. And you know what? OK, this round didn't didn't work out the way I planned it. So, okay, maybe now I have to force, I have to stall the other players to make this go one round longer, if that's possible. And sometimes you can just find a different
1: way to solve a problem. It's like when Edward and I lost to Amanda on the live stream, we felt very safe because one of her objective tokens was two systems away
0: from where she was. Which there's no way she could get to that, right? Wrong. Yeah, about that. You want to actually talk about that? You and your... Sneaky cleverness my, stuff.
2: My sneaky cultists. So my my special action is whenever I do a dominate action, I can move my cultist to another system that is either friendly or in, uninhabited. So my, like they were saying, one of my objectives was two systems away. So I chose to dominate in two separate in those two areas so that I could move my cultist after domination in one area, I can move it to the next and then dominate where I was there and then go to exactly where my objective was. And everybody else is too far away from me to be able to stop me from getting it because nobody realized that I could get there that quickly.
0: And that is the key to being able to maximize Play to maximize your faction's abilities. And that's where what I talked about earlier comes into play is knowing what your opponent's factions are and trying to play their game. But you have so much on your plate trying to do that. Easier said than done, which, I mean, we kind of feed off of this stuff. I mean, this is what we enjoy is this layer upon layer upon layer of planning and replanning and adjusting plans and i mean that's what makes the games that we enjoy enjoyable right
2: i like that the setup isn't static it's not the same exact board every time you start out with the same units and buildings every time but the, pl- the tiles are placed differently and i mean there's a lot of randomness in the setup but it's literally all player dependent
0: and it's all done before the game and it's player driven randomness i'd like to see in future games
1: how much that actually affects how the game plays out because to me a lot of the tiles don't seem that different i mean granted where you place your units and how you place the objective tokens makes a big difference but each system tile is going to give you a reasonable amount of resources or else the game would be i mean potentially very unbalanced so i'm not sure how much of a difference Each specific tile makes
0: and see the individual tile itself. I don't feel like is a huge deal breaker one, one way or the other. I mean, there are differences in the number of units a world can have based on its basic value of the resources that it provides. But here is what I think where the variance and where the, 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 the cleverness of the setup comes into play. It's not about, Oh, I got this really cool world. I don't think that plays into it almost at all. What I think does play into it, though, is the order in which the tiles get laid down and how they get laid out. So in a three-player game, everybody has three tiles. So it's going to be a three-by-three grid. How everything grows from that very first tile can be vastly... You could play with the exact same three tiles with... The same three players with the same, uh, everything being the exact same thing, and the game be completely different. Because where they put their units changes from game to game. Where do you load up? And the reason, and on top of that, the adjacency, how that changes from game to game. So if I place a tile in the center of the table as the first tile... That doesn't mean it's going to be the center tile that could end up being on one of the corners. It all depends on where everyone else builds off of that. so what you thought was going to be in a middle tile, oh snap, that's now out on in a in a corner, and now I load it up, oh oops, so now, what do I do, and that is what makes the difference in the setup. I think,
1: yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense it. It looks at first like you could maybe just start with a randomly created board and then have each person put their units down but the order that the tiles come out
0: makes a big difference right and then the fact that you can't add or subtract from that tile once you say you're done changes everything i think is that might even be my favorite aspect of this game and that's a compliment that's not like wow setup is your favorite but no it It plays that big a part, and it it can make for a really, really interesting game because of it. Alright, so combat. The card play is really cool in this game. I've heard a lot of people say that it bogs down the game, but I think the more experience you become with this game, the less bogged down it becomes. Now, four-player notwithstanding... Alright, let's talk about the combat, which is one of my favorite aspects and I think is really well done in this game. So you have two belligerents in a battle. It's always mano-a-mano, two factions, one against the other. You figure out what, fa- uh, I, or what units each player has in there. They each get a set amount of dice based on the amount of minis or amount of, of units that are in there. Then both players roll. Then you sort out the attack dice on top, then the, the the defense dice in the middle, and then the morale dice, and then comes the really cool part. You have a deck of 10 cards, shuffle them up, you deal out five. Now, out of those five cards, you're going to play three rounds worth of battle. So let's say I rolled three attack, two defense, and a morale. I look at my five cards, I look at what I'm going up against, and I look at my own Units And then I decide, okay, I think this will be a later, maybe a later round card. So here, let me go ahead and try and wear him down now. So I'll play this card. So both players play a card face down. And then the attacker reveals his card first. He completely does everything. It's going to have some amount of offense, defense, or morale that boosts his die, die values. And then from there, the defender flips over his card does all his card, and then, okay, the attacker attacks for X amount, hits the defender. Defender either routes units, meaning they're damaged, because you get double the damage potentially. So if you take one to one less of your max damage, you just fall down. You just lay down. If they take their full damage, though, they're wiped off the board. And if they're routed already and they take full damage, they're off the board as well. However, even the killed units... Get to swing one last time so they get to attack. So on and so forth. Cool. Pretty, pretty simple. Then we go into a second round. Do the exact same thing again. If there are units of both sides still out there, then you do it a third time. And then combat ends, no matter what. And this is where Star Wars Rebellion goes wrong, I feel like. There's three rounds of battle and the fight's over. Somebody's going to win or lose. If there's only one faction left, they won. Congratulations. If there's both left, you count up the number of morale. So think of it as like in-battle victory points, kind of. Oh, I have three. I have two. Okay, three wins. Two, get out. You have to retreat. There are certain rules for that. And then, cool. And the other really cool aspect of the combat that I really like is I mentioned earlier that each faction on a given round only has two advance orders, meaning you can only attack twice. But if you're clever, it allows for some real clever card play or, uh, yeah, or real clever play. You place down an advance. It gets covered up by another player, whatever you play another advance. So then you can attack and then maybe damage your opponent, but tactically withdraw, let him win the battle. Doesn't matter because routed units stay routed. So you withdraw back to your home planet or whatever to an adjacent planet. Oh, but what they don't know is you've got another attack order down there. And now routed units, they don't get battle dice at the beginning of the battle. So, oh, snap. Yeah, your units are there. They're bullet sponges, but they don't get any more units or they don't get to attack. It's only card play. So it allows some really clever play within the the, the battles themselves. Really big fan of the way this goes. Not so much in a four-player game, just because of the amount of downtime, because it's just two players and that's it. But man, I am really smitten with the way the battles work in this game. That system also means that you
1: sometimes end up in battles that you weren't expecting. So if I was going to attack you, but then Amanda came in first and kicked you off the planet, then I would be fighting Amanda and I would have to be prepared or not prepared, but be ready to adapt to that new battle. And that can make it really interesting. Mm
0: And what was it you told me? Um, Overwhelming force is just the right amount of force? That's the only way to win. Every time I go into a battle that looks evenly matched, I will just get destroyed. (laughs) All right. So let's flip it on its head now. Talk about the other side. Because there's got to be some stuff in here that we don't like or aren't too keen on. Or we don't think others will be keen on.
2: So we just had a big discussion about the combat. And... While it is interesting and, you know, the overwhelming forced fight and to, you know, try to, go, try to take over a factory or a city or to, you know, just kill everybody there. But you can't get the dice or cards that you need. That's frustrating. And each of those are mitigatable, you know, but it still can be extremely difficult to make that lemonade if you're just completely unable to mitigate.
0: I agree. But did that happen often? No. So at least there's that. So it is
2: possible for it to happen,
0: but unlikely to happen often. Right,
2: it's not every turn or anything like that.
0: Right, and that's my point. I can see why you think that's
1: a drawback um but going back to my ccg days there were a lot of games that i played where that was just to be expected uh, you could go into a battle and everything could go wrong and that was just the risk you run and so i kind of like that actually i definitely understand how that can be frustrating but that doesn't that doesn't make it a drawback for me
0: and for me it was it happened infrequent enough to where Okay, you deal with it, you move on. It wasn't like it was going to happen three and four times in a game, more often than not. And so, for me, okay, I lost this battle, but okay, I'll try and get it back next time. Not the end of the world. Or, well, I guess maybe it could be the end of the world, but you get the idea it's not the end of the game. So, let's talk warp storms. So, thematically, whatever, I don't care that... It's in 2D, and so this warp storm blocks things, even though space is 3D. Whatever. It basically is a wall, right? I don't care about it thematically. Plus, this just in, Warhammer 40K, it's fantasy. doesn't bother me. However, the aspect that I can see getting frustrating to folks is the random nature of the way the warp storms can move. It's a blind draw, right? And the way... Every player has to move a warp storm. Every warp storm has to move once. And so the way you could build up and have this awesome move planned out and not be able to execute it for one, two, maybe even three rounds just because of the way the warp storms keep thwarting the way you were planning on moving. And because you have limited actions, that you, you you're only taking a max of four actions in a given turn, That can get frustrating because you had that happen in one of our games, Dan, to where you were boxed in and there was out of what, five, six rounds, only one round that you were able to actually go for the objective. Yeah, I had a big force built up, I think from the setup
1: of the game, ready to storm in and take an objective, and I never actually got it. At the end of the game, I did not manage to capture that objective, mostly because you guys kept putting warp storms in the way and it's it's only partially down to randomness i think a lot of it is actually player driven right exactly exactly people know where you want to go or can make a guess and they will definitely put a warp storm there
2: and also there are cards that can even can mitigate the warp storms there's one of the chaos upgrade cards is to be able to discard that card to just kind of negate the warp storm movement. So even that's mitigatable.
0: Right. And you actually, with the Chaos Marines, they had a thing that they had abilities to just basically teleport through warp storms if they want. So there are ways around it, but I understand how some folks could get frustrated with that.
2: I understand. I mean, yeah, it can be frustrating, but I think this is kind of where... Getting used to one faction could be kind of hard because once I go to another faction, I can't just jump through the warp storm. Wait, what?
0: Yeah, wait. I could do this for my last four game. What in the hell? All right. So four players, a lot of downtime between actions, uh, especially if you're at you 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 get your turn skipped if you don't have an action available to you. On the flip side, you might only have. One action available to you, and you're like, I that's no, I don't want it to. It's tough. You have to take an action if they're available. But if all your actions are buried on the negative side, you're going to be sitting here for a while, like, go make a sandwich. I mean, I'm exaggerating, not well, eh, not exaggerating on the amount of time, but you still should be engaged to be able to follow along what's going on because you should be paying attention to the game, right? But a battle, if there are back-to-back battles that you're not involved in, you're going to be sitting for a while. So there's that. On the positive side is if you get skipped a lot because you have no available actions, you're going to be bing, 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 all your actions there, boom, 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 right there at the end to where you're super busy, but you had to wait a long time for that to happen. And on that note, There's no real way to rush the game or really speed it up. I mean, the game takes however long it takes. And I know that that sounds like saying something without actually saying something. But you can't like experience play. You can speed up the battles a little bit. But the game takes its leisurely pace. There's just no way two ways around it.
1: Yeah, it's it really is just sort of a slow paced game through most of it. There are times when things start happening really fast, but then it tends to slow down again. And so, especially with four players, you, you see this in three player games too, I think, especially if you're new, but it, especially with four players, it goes really slowly.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it's, the four players is where it bogs down, especially like you were saying, if all of your actions are buried and there's combats and, and you just, you know, you're sitting there watching all this happen and like, great. But the opposite of that is if everybody's doing combat before you, maybe some of the factions that you were tr- going to fight aren't there anymore. or Or,
0: or they're routed units.
2: units. Or, you know, it could work in your favor.
0: Another thing, I mean, this has absolute direct conflict so if if you haven't figured this out by now stay away from this game and on that note if you're the type of player that likes to turtle and kind of stay off it won't happen can't happen you you can't win by turtling impossible defense is just not a big part of this game you, you
1: have to sprint to the objectives to capture them as quickly as possible i mean Trying to keep your opponents away from their objectives can be valuable, but it's really only if you're doing it on your way to your own objective.
0: And it's tactical in a sense that you can't spend turn after turn after turn just building up this huge armada or or this huge horde of units to go. It just doesn't work that way in our experience. To where maybe a turn, you're maybe you're pinned in by warp storms, so you spend a term, uh, a, a turn just you know getting a ton of units and then the next turn you unleash chaos. But outside of that go, go, go. You will be fighting in this game. I want to talk a minute about the recommended setup that's in the rule book. I feel like that actively impedes enjoyment of the first game due to the way that the factions are laid out. What do y'all think?
1: I completely agree. I'm not even sure exactly what it is about that setup but it seems to really hamper the game it's possibly that the the third and or fourth faction is sort of off to one side the first two are mixed up like you would get in a regular setup but if you're playing as the third or
0: fourth player you're sort of put off to the side and you can't do much exactly exactly to where you're you just feel like oh okay i'm way out here on the outer reaches i have to go this way Okay. We. With
1: the regular setup, you're sort of by necessity surrounded by your objectives and you can create armies before the game even starts that are focused on just skipping over one system or maybe two to grab them and it doesn't happen in the the beginner setup.
0: And I appreciate that they don't want to pile on, you know, how to do the advanced setup, which is basically how the game is meant to be played. But I just feel like... There should have been a better way to do that because after the first, well, you, I don't want to speak for you.
2: You know, I will say that I feel like the using the stock setup in our first game is what most likely turned me off from it because I was just over in a corner, couldn't really, you know, interact very much. And it was just kind of what's the point you know it just it wasn't fun you
0: weren't engaged in the game at all no and it it felt that way you just felt like oh i'm over here in the corner yeah it just wasn't fun yay this is fun yeah
1: i think the regular setup is really not that complicated especially for listeners of this podcast they're not going to have a problem doing that in a learning game and even for people who aren't really into heavy games, I don't think it's complicated enough to cause a problem, so I would really encourage even first-time
0: players to use the regular setup. I agree. I because like I said, I felt like the the pre-programmed stock setup for a first player or a first game actively impeded the enjoyment of the game, and that can't be good. I mean, it just can't be. So I have a question for the both of you. Ultimately, are the battles in the game themselves, are they satisfying? Because a lot of them end up kind of, oh, I won the battle. Okay. Or do they? I'm curious.
2: You know, I read a lot of comments and stuff on BGG about people saying that a lot of the battles ended in draws and just they just weren't fun. And I had the complete opposite reaction. I there were very few battles that did not end in death and destruction. So, I don't know if we're playing it wrong or, or I don't you know. think
0: I don't think wrong, but it could be not using overwhelming force. They I mean, we we learn quickly that overwhelming force is the order of the day, right? I would say that
1: the battles are satisfying, but I don't think that there's a lot of tension during the battle. I think that might be what some people are getting at.
0: So how so? Cuz I completely disagree. I feel like there's a ton of tension during the battles because do I play this card? No. What if he does? No. I mm, because I need to get him out of this planet because I need that material at the end of this round. That's that's true. I think that that does add some tension, but
1: there isn't there isn't ever a situation where you make a really surprising and really effective play that completely changes the battle at least not in the way that i've seen in other games right
0: there's no oh snap you did what it's just it's a a slow and steady grind down of your opponent i think is kind of unless somebody rolls just horrible or massive or whatever which is the exception to the rule so in that respect yeah there's no whole man moves in this game i agree it's it's very slow burn, but it's an enjoyable slow burn, right?
1: Absolutely. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think a lot of people are want that tension and the ability to throw down one card that just sort of
0: ends the entire battle. Which that leads more towards the Ameritrash side. It depends where your background is, right? So for me, I don't mind this slow and steady just crawling. And however, on the flip side, look at what Amanda did to us during the live stream. Out of nowhere. Wait, what? The game's over.
2: Yeah, I kind of shocked y'all there. Um
0: kind of? Come on. <laughs> both of us were like, wait, what? And then yeah, both jaw drop just
2: Yeah, I just um I agree. I would agree that it kind of comes from depends on what your background is. Cause we play games that you know, can take six, seven, eight hours. So we don't mind if it drags out a little bit.
0: And the difference in one share over the course of that six hours might make a difference. That's not a deciding moment. That's not a stand-up die roll. That's a slow and steady grinding down of your opponents, which is kind of what Forbidden Stars right. does.
2: I mean, I, you know, I I am a turtle, you know, I mean, I like to move slow and I like my shell.
0: Fear change.
2: Yes. But, you know, all jokes aside though, yeah, I I feel like that if you go into the game with a mentality of, man, I really want to have that stand-up die roll, and I want to be able to fling down that cart, that's not going to happen.
0: This isn't that game. And the last thing that I have for a negative, we've kind of touched on already. There's not going to be an expansion. You got the print-and-play factions, but that's all that will ever be for this game. So just know that going in. I don't think that's too much of a negative because of the replayability that we just talked about i agree but i figure it it can't be a positive (laughs) right so i I would mention it right all right now it's time for one of my favorite parts of the review which is the comments from bgg all right so got a balanced group here just just five comments that I, i came across this might be a negative one Combat was incredibly drawn out, even when the outcomes were abundantly apparent. Bloated playtime and space as represented by a 3x3 three three grid, with the ludicrous warp storms, the limit movement is just silly. Space never felt so... flat. Flatter still was the gameplay. Yuck. Ouch. Not a fan, I gather. Okay. The game has a great setup mechanic, giving everyone the chance to get involved in the creation of your universe. The different factions are all balanced well and feel very different to each other. They also play just how you would expect them to if you have experience with the 40k universe. I would always be up for a game of Forbidden Stars. This game is a weak remake of Starcraft the board game. The combat system is now really procedural and boring, and see to me, That tells me that comes from an Ameritrash side. So they have different expectations coming into this game. Which, is that a fault of the game? Or is that just a fault of what your expectations are? Or is it just a bad match?
2: I think it's just a bad match. I don't think it's a fault on the side of the person or of the game. I mean, maybe you could give a little bit of fault to the person. Perhaps they should have done, you know, a little bit more research to discover how the combat works and how things work in the game. But I wouldn't be like... And you should have known you know I'm not gonna know, I mean. no,
0: I'm not saying that, but at the same time, the game is the game, right and and it you're expecting it to be something that it's not, and so I feel like that falls i mean on a preset preconceived notions. Of the, what the game should be. And again, I'm not criticizing the player. I'm just making an observation. God knows I've been guilty of this. I mean, look at how I f- why I don't like the game Notre Dame. Because I bought into all the hype. This is supposed to be amazing. And it just it wasn't there. And I was like, wait, what? So that's on me. That's not on the game. That's not the game's fault. I've heard... Quite a few
1: comparisons between this and StarCraft, actually. Yeah, same here. So I think a lot of people might be coming to this as sort of like, well, I can't afford the 600 bucks or whatever on eBay for StarCraft, so I'll try Forbidden Stars, but they're just not going to get the same gameplay experience, even if it is
0: maybe the closest. Okay. All right. That, That seems reasonable. Okay. A truly outstanding game with a ton of interaction, atmosphere, and tactical depth. Excellent and original combat system that gives many choices and strategies, bluffing and anticipating your opponent's moves, and a bit of randomness, although partly controlled, which is great because you can never fully calculate your attacks. Four asymmetrical factions, and every one of them is very different from each other and requires a different approach towards the factions definitely agree with the bluffing part that's something i haven't done
1: as much of as i want to but it is a lot of fun
0: oh yeah i definitely did some to where i placed uh maybe i placed a, a dominate or a strategize order over here to where okay if i can't use it fine i will use it to be able to draw one of my uh scheme or tactics cards no big deal but it's it, you stop and think for a minute like he's not over there Why did he place that there? Is he coming to attack? And that might change your plan. So that whole bluffing aspect absolutely comes into play here. Last but not least, and I I think this summed it up really well. This isn't even my type of game, but wow, is it an amazing experience. Unfortunately, it's a long experience, but I really don't care because it's so excellent. Happy to have this in my collection absolutely agree and
1: I think it's it's tough to put it into a type of game there aren't many other games that you could play that say this is my type and so is forbidden stars it's pretty unique
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree all right we've kind of already talked about this throughout the entire review but that's scalability so I'll talk about the physical or the mechanical scalability and you guys talk about the actual gameplay wise so as far as the game, the, the mechanical, the actual physical scalability, every player gets three tiles, and every player gets one warp storm. Build the board from there. So it's either a 2 by 3 a 3 by 3 or a 3 by 4 grid. And you'll either have two, three, or four warp storms. Other than that, game don't scale. That's it. So the actual playing area is reduced. But other than that, that's that's really it. And obviously, it's you have less objectives. You need the same amount, or you need the same amount of objectives as there are players in the game. So, in a two-player, you need two, three, and three, four, and four, so on and so forth.
2: Really, the only thing that changes is the time. Um, the the more players, the more time the game is going to take. And the majority of that reason is because of the combat.
1: Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. The gameplay is very similar. You're going for the same objectives in the same manner. It just takes a lot longer.
0: We now early plays four hours or so. Uh, maybe could have even gone five hours in a four-player game. Our three-player games were now down to two, two and a half hours. In our two-player game. There's only one of those, so take that with a grain of salt, 35-40 minutes after setup. I mean, not including setup. So, early on, I said that the game says it plays 2-4 to four hours. I would say in a two-player game, it can play exceptionally quicker than that, depending on setup and, and other mitigating factors, but its it really is possible to have this game done in an hour. So this viably is a school night game for two players maybe even with three so summaries would you would you like to go first guess dan sure i i think this is almost
1: a perfect balance between sort of typical ameritrash and the heavier themes that you see in more euro games and that it's worth playing for fans of either genre um, you just have to be ready to put kind of a lot of work into it. It'll really reward you, but you have to be willing to put in effort on the front end.
2: Forbidden Stars is a game built on the Warhammer 40k universe. I have zero idea about said universe, as I have never played any of it, but I will say that this game is just good. The card play, the combat, even the warp storms. I mean, each faction has different abilities, which vastly helps replayability, and it's just a joy and a blast to play, as long as you will play it at four.
0: Forbidden Stars was never even on my radar until I heard a bunch of fellow like-minded gamers raving about how good this game was. Bought it sight unseen, zero research just based on what fellow gamers said because I knew it was going to be really hard to come by down the road. It took almost a year to get it to the table and now I'm kicking myself because it took nearly a year to hit the table. I don't really care about dudes on a map. I don't care about cool little sculpture minis. What I care about is excellent gameplay, and this has it in spades. It's a game I never would have thought to pick up on my own, but that just goes to show that maybe you should look outside your normal box and see what else is out there. It just might surprise you. All right, so as you all know, We rate on a one to six scale. One, burn it with fire. Two, meh, it's eh, whatever. Three, it's not you, it's me. It's not the game's fault, it's just a bad match. Four is, hey, this is a pretty good game. I enjoy this. Definitely above average. Might own this game. A five, that's a great game. That's a really good game. Excited to play it. Definitely going to own it. And a six, six is a Hall of Fame game. Just Enshrine It Now, this is a game that will stand the test of time. Absolute total gem of a collection. So, guest first, Dan. I'm going to give it a five.
1: I think it's really good. Every game I've played has been different, and that's really valuable to me. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's just a really fun game.
2: I'm going to give it a five as well. It I, Whenever you were giving your summary, I was over here nodding because... Yes, I kick myself that it took us a year to get this to the table. And I'm also a little ashamed of myself because whenever you told me you were buying Forbidden Stars, my first thought was, What? But again, that's going, you need to go out of your comfort zone every now and then.
0: I'm so glad we brought in a third chair to have a differing viewpoint. <laughs> yep. I gave it a five as well. Um, I actually could make an argument for it to be a six. I think it's really that enjoyable. The thing keeping it from being a six for me at least is I just don't want to play it at four players. Um, I'm willing to try it one more time uh, now that we have an experienced group and try it again at four players. But I, I just don't think it's going to be one that I'm going to seek out at four players now. You look at Through the Ages, I would never play that four players again. That's two and three, and that's a Hall of Fame game. But I just, it feels comfortable. It feels right at a five. I feel good with it. So yeah, that's three fives. I'd say that's a pretty high recommendation for the game. So get it while you can, because they ain't making no mo. And that is Forbidden Stars. Hey, this is Clay with Capstone Games. I need you to stop what you're doing right now and visit pledgehc.com. Heavy Cardboard has been an invaluable resource in the board game industry. With their dedicated focus on medium to heavy board games, their reviews dissect the games we enjoy most. They provide you with a comprehensive understanding of how the game plays, and they make it clear if the game would be one you would enjoy. Think of the countless times you've relied on heavy cardboard for your game purchase. Check it out at pledgehc.com. right, that was a really long review, which hopefully y'all enjoyed it, but I don't know that we should have edited any of that out, because I feel like that was all valid aspects of the game. So Dan, your first experience on the podcast, what did you think? I had a great time.
1: Yeah? Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of put my thoughts together before I came here, but just sitting down and chatting
0: about the game really opens up a lot of new things that I hadn't thought about. It's right, a lot of fun. Right, and bouncing off of one another, and oh yeah, and that. And actually, I left the game out here on the table so that that might trigger some things in our heads as well. So you're more than welcome to be come back. I thought you did a great job. Thanks a lot. I most certainly will be back. Cool, good deal. So had fun. Uh Y'all have anything else? No. Amanda wants to go to sleep. Dan wants to go to sleep. I need to take more steroids, so I'll be up for a little bit.
2: And Asher is asleep.
0: Right. So in their natural state here, this whole group. There we go. So again, uh, real quick, pledgehc.com. If you want to support the show, we definitely would appreciate it. Uh, and give us feedback. Tell us what you thought, both about having Dan on the show, the the quality of the review. Give us feedback. Email us, contacted Heavy Cardboard. Hell, just go to Pledge HC or go to HeavyCardboard.com, all the ways to get in touch with us and give us your feedback. We definitely want to hear. So, with that, we'll catch y'all later. Uh, live streams this week. Hopefully, you listen to the top six school night games that released earlier this week. And with that, we'll see y'all next week, or I guess. Talk to you all next week, as it were.
2: Bye, everybody.
0: Have a good one. Later.
2: Hidden Stars is a game built on the war cam, the war camera, really? War camera. The oh, war yeah. camera. Roar. Snap! 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 Roar. Flash! Ah! Oh. <laughs> <laughs>